This podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. This week we're going to continue our face-off. We did the movies of Patrick Swayze last week. We're going to have another face-off. Different actor, different movies. Sort of the same decade though. We're going for the 90s. And we're going to feature the movies of a certain Miss Sandra Bullock. Okay, it's Face Off Time, it's Sandra Bullock, and the first movie we're going to cover is 1994's Speed, directed by Yander Bont. Do we have a synopsis for this movie? Well, there are many synopsises for this movie on IMDb, but to our disappointment, and probably our listeners' disappointment, there is no synopsis written by the great Nick Reganis. So, instead, I'm going to read you a synopsis from... J. Welch 5742. So this is the plot of speed. Let's get ready. When a young Los Angeles Police Department special weapons and tactics officer called Jack Traven angers retired Atlanta Police Department bomb squad member Howard Payne by foiling his attempt at taking hostages stuck in an elevator with a bomb, Payne in retaliation arms a bus with a bomb that will explode if it drops below 50 miles per hour. With the help of spunky passenger Annie, Jack and his partner, Detective Harry Temple, try to save the people on the bus before the bomb goes off, while also trying to figure out how Payne is monitoring them. So, yeah, Speed is such a great action thriller movie from the 90s, and I think it's quite underrated in today's standards because I feel it's not a film that people talk about as much anymore, but at the time I remember it being quite a big movie. Yeah, I mean, I went to see it at the cinema, and I thought it was great. It was definitely up there with the other action movies of the 90s. Certainly had a bit of a push behind it, got good word of mouth, had a decent studio release. I believe that uh, it got some more money thrown at it after some test screenings as well, because the test audiences liked it so much. But yeah, you're right. I think Speed's weirdly disappeared off the radar for quite a lot of people. I know that, um, I think it was ITV2 seemed to programme speed every other night at one point, but it even seems to have disappeared off there. So not the fate that I would have expected this one to end up with, but I think it's high time that people revisited this one or gave it a first watch if they haven't seen it before. 
Definitely. So we're going to bring speed back into the public conscious because it is such a good movie. For Sandra Bullock, she is not the lead in this film, but her role is very, very pivotal to the plot because she is the person who has to take charge and drive the bus throughout most of the movie. But going back to last week's episode where we covered Patrick Swayze films, funnily enough, as um, we covered Point Break starring Keanu Reeves, Speed also stars Keanu Reeves and he is the lead in this also. And I believe just a nice tie in here, Point Break was the reason that Keanu got cast in this role. Oh, well, that's a nice uh, nice lead into this movie as well. I mean, we could have done a face off for Keanu with Point Break and Speed, but, uh, but this one works fine. I mean, you're right, Sandra Bullock doesn't turn up until about 30 minutes into the movie. But when she does come into the movie, she is the pivotal source of the plot developments. And she is the heart of the movie. Keanu does a lot of macho action stuff and has some of the wisecracking lines to deliver. But it's Sandra Bullock's movie in terms of the fact that she's she's almost the substitute for the audience member trapped on the bus. She's the one that is the everyday person who is trying to make sense of a, an extraordinary situation. And... Well, she's she's as likable as Sandra Bullock has ever been in movies. She's got this kind of girl-next-door quality. At the same time, she knows her own mind in this movie. She's not going to take any crap from anybody either. It's a, it's a good role for her, actually. I think after Demolition Man, I think she was kind of... I wouldn't say she was relegated to supporting Demolition Man, but she doesn't get as much to doing that as she does in Speed because she is driving the bus for quite a lot of the movie. Yeah, and she actually did learn to drive a bus for the role and she passed her test first time, so that is dedication. Her character Annie is, um, as you say, she's got that girl next door quality, she's the everyday person, but she also has a feisty side to her, she's not going to take any crap and she's um, very driven, literally, and um, determined. Um, But she does have that vulnerability and scared side about her as well because there are times where she's like, oh my God, is this, you know, are we going to get out of this situation? And she's got the lives of all these other passengers in her hands and she's absolutely terrified for them. So yeah, it is quite a dynamic role. But as I say, she's not the kind of focal point in this film. Like there's a lot of her in it. And, and I believe this was like her first big movie as well, where she had a more prominent part. Yeah, it was. Um, and I mean, she carries off the role pretty well. And she isn't this kind of superhuman person she does make mistakes which makes her even more endearing really if she was somebody that was always on top of everything and everything she did turned out right then you probably wouldn't side with her quite as much as you do but because she is just this very down-to-earth everyday person who happens to be having to deal with this fact that she's stuck on a bus where which is going to explode if it drops below 50 miles an hour you know most of us wouldn't be able to deal with that but she kind of straddles the line between just about keeping it together and actually being quite resourceful at the same time. So she's more than a match for Keanu's character. And I think he actually realises quite early on that she's probably the best person to have around on the bus. Because as with um, While You Were Sleeping, as we're going to get into later, there's a quite a big supporting cast in this one and they've all got different character traits i mean you've got the guy who shouldn't be on the bus who's a bit of a tourist you've got a guy who has committed a crime and he's trying to cover it up you've got the 
big-hearted, strong guy who comes into his own later on. You've got the you know, nervous woman who, unfortunately, comes to grief at some point. There's always somebody twitchy on these sort of hijacked or doomed transport modes where somebody is actually going to get himself killed because of something stupid that they do. This is no exception. Somebody does buy it in speed because they just can't wait to get off the bus. And of course, the crazy bomber played by Dennis Hopper is one step ahead of everybody and knows what's going off on the bus via closed circuit TV. And the minute somebody tries to get off, they're toast, basically. Yeah, when I watched that scene, I was like, oh, there's always one. There's always someone. But, you know, it's set up the ante. Sandra Bullock's chemistry with Keanu Reeves is excellent as well. They've got a very um, believable kind of dynamic going on there. Um, It doesn't feel that he is this kind of macho guy who is going to be overpowering her. They do feel very much quite equal. Even though there are elements where she is a bit of a damsel in distress at certain points in the movie, it, it's not like too much in your face with that. So she is her own character. She is still a strong character. And um, it's kind of they work together. I think it's not, it's I think they rescue each other in different ways. Yeah, it's it's a symbiotic relationship. You don't get one person that's always taking the lead or having to get the other one out of a scrape it does mean that uh, they are equals and they do play each other off each other quite well uh, which is interesting because according to graham yost who was the original screenwriter there was a lot of rewrites on this movie and a lot of it was rewritten by joss whedon so amazing that you've actually got a strong female character in there and it's not some horrible gaslighting bloke all the way through it oh <laughs> Yeah, we have a very different uh, light on Joss Whedon these days. Like, if you'd spoken to me, like, well, over a year ago, I would have probably been praising him to the the hilt. But, yeah, <laughs> it was interesting to find out he'd rewritten most of this movie, uncredited as well. So yeah. I, I don't I think that kind of fact passed me by, because um, I am a big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel and all, all that. Obviously, it's been a bit tainted for me now, but I always thought Joss Whedon was a very good writer, but... I mean, it doesn't it doesn't take away his skill as a writer, but unfortunately, the more you find out about the guy, the less inclined you are to go and revisit his stuff. But that's not to say that you shouldn't go and revisit his speed, because the bulk of the idea and the structure and quite a lot of the events that go off in this movie, that's Graham Yost's work. It's the it's some of the dialogue that was polished by Joss Whedon, but the main story isn't really his. So, yeah, it's not as um, bad as having to revisit, like, something else where he's, like, director or, yeah, that might leave a bad taste. But moving on, <laughs> we're not here to talk about Joss Whedon. <laughs> so I think Speed as a movie still holds up. I watched it in HD as well, and it was it was actually really good for, like, an older movie. I think the special effects are still really great in it, all the explosions. And it is one of those movies that literally keeps you on the edge of your seat throughout. It's got an amazing opening sequence with the elevator, and that's quite terrifying itself. I can imagine being in that situation. It's like, I won't go on Tower of Terror at Disneyland. So, <laughs> you know, there's no way. Like, I think that kind of um, scene just, like, resonated with me a bit, like how terrifying that would be if you were in that position. Um, and it's got very much diehard vibes. And I think that was, um, there was a story where Keanu Reeves initially didn't accept the role because he felt it was too much like Die Hard. And I kind of get where that's coming from. It's definitely a product of Die Hard, of that success. 
then, yeah, he decided to take the role after, well, Joss Whedon rewrote the dialogue, but <laughs> moving past that again, <laughs> going back to Joss Whedon. <laughs> and then um, from the moment um, the crazy Dennis Hopper then informs him what he's done with the bus, it's just everything just goes kind of very like high octane from there um, after the kind of breather from the lift sequence. So I just think it's one of those movies you just have to just go with it and enjoy it and just like kind of immerse yourself in all the action. There's another connection with Die Hard because uh, Jan de Bont, who directed Spade, was the cinematographer on Die Hard and cinematographer on quite a lot of, lot of other big budget studio things like uh, Black Rain. So he already had a bit of a hand in the action thriller genre. So stepping over to directing probably wasn't a massive leap for Jan de Bont. Uh, he also did things like, I think he did Twister, didn't he, as well? So that's, yeah, that's, um... a, that's another really good action movie. But uh, yeah, I mean... Speed plays on that uh, fear of anything that's like moving. Like, you know, if you don't like lifts, the opening 20 minutes is going to freak you out. If you don't like um, buses, the the next hour or so is going to freak you out. If you don't like subway trains, the last 20 minutes is going to freak you out. So it's playing on, on fears of transport and what can go wrong with it especially in the in the terms of uh, if some maniac stuck a bomb on it um dennis hopper is i mean it's kind of a pantomime performance and i think dennis hopper knows that but it is quite fun as well because you kind of don't want a bad guy in this sort of movie that's you know so inherently evil that it's going to throw you off the center of the action stuff so he is a bad guy but it's kind of played for laughs a little bit it's it's very much overdone, and Dennis Hopper's really good at doing that sort of stuff. I mean, if you've seen Blue Velvet, he's absolutely bloody terrifying in Blue Velvet, and he's dialed that back a bit here. I mean, I think Dennis Hopper's taken a look at the script and thought, you know what, I'm going to play this with a bit of a wink. And he does that, and, and he's really good as the bad guy, because you'd think that if Keanu Reeves goes up against Dennis Hopper, then physically... Keanu's going to have the edge over Dennis all day. But Dennis Hopper's smart. He's a smart bad guy, so he uses that to his advantage. Yeah, and I think he comes across as a bit unassuming, like, you know, he's not this big, like, terrifying, bulky guy. He's just mm. this regular guy. And um, I think that's why they cast him in particular, because they just wanted someone who was the everyday guy who had just snapped. I think that's what it was, the, the reason for the casting. So I think he plays an excellent villain in it, and um, his scenes are quite manic and um, when he's watching them on surveillance and everything and he's threatening them over the phone and yeah it's it's all um very kind of tropey and very classic action film but it's it's so entertaining at the same time going back to Sandra Bullock's performance in it i think it's kind of the unassuming performance that Sandra Bullock that kind of creeps along in the movie she kind of steals it because you've got all these I mean, there's no posturing, really. I mean, but you've got all these guys doing very macho cop and villain sort of things. Whereas you've got Sandra Bullock, who's kind of in there as the innocent bystander that's caught up in everything. When you look at the movie, she's probably the one that you remember the most out of it because she kind of steals it without having to get all the wisecracks in. She just comes across as being so likeable that she's the one that you think out of all the cast do you think she's ever going to be in danger of it i mean she's kind of third build but even so there is a part of you that thinks like i really hope that they don't pull something like that they bump her off right at the end if you look at the movie 
is there any danger of it happening i mean it depends really because it's a big action movie but again i mean you've got stuff like point break where people who you don't expect to die do actually die in point break so there's always that feeling that they're gonna pull the rug out they're gonna take the most likable character in the movie and they're gonna they're gonna get rid of them right at the end which in this case i would have absolutely hated yeah and i think they really did want to play on that romance angle as well so i don't i think she was pretty safe because mm. they obviously want that that big strange ending yeah she was on top of each other with kind of glass flying at them and bystanders just watching them while, while they're um, getting it on um in the ruins of the the um the train but yeah going back to um talking about casting as well because we always go into it where we look at who else could have played the role and it was actually Halle Berry that was up for Sandra Bullock's role in this film but she had turned it down and apparently she does not regret it even though the film became so successful apparently she felt it would not have done the same for her career as it did for Sandra Bullock's and unfortunately the reason she felt this way she thought she would just be another black bus driver and that's really sad to think those were the attitudes at the time and that kind of turned her away from wanting to take the role but um i think it would still be very good with Halle Berry in it as well yeah Sandra Bullock is a great part in this and um she as you say she has that likability Halle Berry i love Halle Berry i would watch Halle Berry in absolutely anything and i understood why she turned it down and i can see the reasoning behind it because at the time yes unfortunately i think that may have been what would happen and Halle Berry bided the time and got better roles and certainly upped the stakes in terms of action i mean she did appear alongside keanu reeves in uh, john wick 3 and she's very very good at the action stuff in john wick 3 in fact so good in fact that i was thinking spin off with her character yeah i wouldn't mind seeing one of those I mean, it's a, it's a shame to say it, but I think Halle Berry was right at the time. Also, who was the cast that they were going to cast somebody else as as the Jeff Daniels role as well? I can't remember who it was. Oh God, there's this fact. The film was rumored to have been originally written with the intention that Jeff Bridges would play Jack and Ellen DeGeneres would play Annie. Yeah, oh, that's a weird one. I I that mean, so different, such yeah. a different movie. That, that is a strange bit of casting. I mean, Jeff Bridges and Ellen DeGeneres. I mean, that's that's a strange combo, if ever there was one. I'm not sure we would have got anywhere like the same movie we ended up with, with Keanu and Sandra in it. But, you know, I mean, these, these things come across the desks of people. And I'm guessing that at some point, somebody must have seen that. If that's true casting, then... I'm guessing some studio exec would have looked, taking one look at that at one point and thought, no, nah, no, nah, we'll, we'll, we'll go with a, a slightly younger combination. You know, that Keanu Reeves guy, he's, he's good. Sandra Bullock, she's up and coming. Let's, let's go with them. Oh, this is another interesting one. Phil Collins, you know, the singer Phil Collins, was actually considered to play the Dennis Hopper role. <laughs> yeah, kind of weird, but not, not as weird as I might think because... Phil Collins kind of did a bit of TV in the 80s and he was on Miami Vice and stuff. And I think at some point, because he did Buster as well, so I think there was a bit of cachet that Phil Collins had got as an actor. Now, whether he would have landed that properly as a an embittered ex-cop who 
is wanting to wage a war of terror on a city with various bombs. I mean, Phil Collins as Dennis Hopper? Uh, I'm thinking not. I mean, not to decry Phil Collins' ability as an actor, but if you'd kind of thought, well, there's a bomber going about, and then the kind of reveal of it isn't, it's Phil Collins. Think like, well, am I buying this? Am I buying Phil Collins as this kind of lunatic bomber? Probably not. And then um, after we've hyped this up, unfortunately, it was all false. Phil Collins was never considered for a role in the film at all, but apparently it was erroneously reported by the British press. <laughs> well, well, that's one thing anyway, because I was just sitting there thinking, no, why, why would they have considered Phil Collins anyway? Because obviously they didn't. So, I mean, that's that's fair enough. It just That's one of the just the weird things about the rumour mill. All sorts of people get uh, considered in, in the casting process. Phil Collins is a particularly weird one. I'm guessing that some British tabloid suddenly got some tip off that they never bothered to check. And it was like, oh, Phil Collins is going to be in speed. And it was like, oh, really? Without actually going to think of like, well, what's he going to play? It's like, oh, he's going to play this mad terrorist bomber. Nobody actually sort of stopped thinking, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure that's the sort of thing Phil Collins would do? I think some of my friends would argue that, you know, his musical terrorism is uh, <laughs> is is worse than any sort of bomb going off. I think Phil Collins has been unfairly maligned for some of his stuff because I don't think I, I don't think you can dismiss his entire musical output. <laughs> I'm actually really disappointed that fact isn't true anymore because I just think it's so such a kind of random one. Like you have, because to me, Phil Collins is just a singer. I haven't really like known much about his acting past, so I just thought it was very random. And I can't imagine him in the Dennis Hopper part, but I, I would be very intrigued to see how that went down. So Ed Harris, is that who you were thinking of? Ah, uh, yes, it was. It was Ed Harris, wasn't it? Yes, it was because they were going to cast Ed Harris, and and they also were going to change the plot if Ed Harris was going to be in it, because the twist with Ed Harris's character was it he was going to be the bomber. And when they cast Jeff Daniels in it, they thought, Jeff Daniels? Nice old Jeff Daniels as a bomber? No, no, I don't think so. So they kind of looked for a different slant on the story and they didn't have that twist in there. Because, you know, Jeff Daniels, who'd buy Jeff Daniels as like a guy who suddenly would turn on his colleagues and start blowing things up? No, nah, no, he wouldn't do that. Dennis Hopper, on the other hand, Absolutely. That would have been a very interesting twist, though, if they had gone down that route. I think I would have been quite shocked because, as you say, like Jeff Daniels, his character is like really likable, and um, but I can see they could have gone through a whole story arc where he could have snapped because of um, Keanu shooting him at the beginning and um, the fact that Keanu was taking like all the praise and thing. Maybe they, they could have gone with some sort of twist in in the story there could have worked but i i'm kind of like the film how it is to be honest yeah i think if ed harris had been in that role i think the twist would have worked i mean ed, ed harris is a great actor again love everything that ed harris is in and that would have flown i think if he'd have been revealed to be the villain towards the end of the movie but you're right i mean everything slots together as it should uh, including as we're going back to sandra bullock because We've gone slightly off piece here because we are talking about Sandra Bullock's performance. I think she's kind of the glue that holds the certainly the second half of the movie together because there's lots and lots of different things going on. But the one constant of the second half of the movie is Sandra Bullock. And she's got that warm, sort of amiable presence that brings you back to the fact that when stuff's 
getting destroyed and stuff's blowing up and people are, are getting dragged under buses and all this horrible stuff's happened. At least you've got you've got the anchor that is Sandra Bullock in there. I mean, they do give her a couple of pretty decent lines and I know that she probably isn't driving the bus through a lot of the more dangerous stunts, but it looks like she is in quite a lot of the stuff as well. Yeah, I'm not actually sure how much of her own stunts she did do for this film. But yeah, as you say, she's um, got like such a presence in the film that you just kind of have a good feeling she's going to get them out of this. She's going, going to succeed. Yeah, she's going to drive that bus and she's going to get them to safety one way or another. But how, we don't know until it all happens. But yeah, the film is it's nearly two hours long and there's a lot packed in there. It doesn't drag as such, but I do feel like it does kind of maybe pad out a bit towards the end. I think after the whole bus sequence and then you've got more, it's like you've just kind of recovered from that and then it's taking you on the train. So I think that could have been cut a little bit for me, but obviously they needed to resolve the whole thing because Dennis Hopper's character has been defeated in terms of they've got everyone safely off the bus and um, they've stopped the bomb going off. And it's a case of like, he wants his money, but yeah so he's like he's just going out for pure revenge then so we have to kind of get through that um and it does like put you in that position where you think oh my god are they going to survive or is he going to actually kill them off now is it going to be some really brutal twist at least they they do kind of throw a bit more jeopardy in towards the end you're right i think it's probably a step too far in many ways because once you've got off the bus that kind of feels like the story is winding down to its natural conclusion. But you're right, they still have to resolve the fact that Keanu and Dennis Hopper have to face off, ultimately, because there has to be a showdown at the end. How do they get to the showdown? Well, there's got to be another bomb on another mode of transport and another face-off between the two of them. So, yeah, I mean, in some ways, it's probably over-egging it a bit, but you're right, they had to finish it some way. And just have it grind to a halt after the bus where they suddenly have him appear somewhere would have felt a bit unnatural, I think. It's okay in the way that it resolves it because it pushes Dennis Hopper's character to pull one last bomb stunt and obviously that proves to be his undoing. Yeah, definitely. So the film's legacy, which we like to always talk about, it grossed $350.4 million on a $37 million budget. And at the Academy Awards, it won Best Sound Effects Editing and Best Sound. So I'm not surprised there because obviously the kind of sound in this movie is what drives it on because it's, um, yeah, it's just that whole um, kind of putting you on the edge of your seat, all the like loudness and the explosions. It's like, you know, it's the perfect action film in that way. So I'm not surprised that it was that successful. And um, as we discussed at the beginning, it did really well with test audiences. Then 20th Century Fox then released it earlier than they planned to because they realised they could have some blockbuster on their hands. I can see this at, like probably doing so well at the cinema. I can see people going like for repeat viewings. It's just, again, as I like to call one of those popcorn flicks, it's like one that you, it's not too taxing to think about, but it's one you're going to really enjoy and have a good time with because it will just keep you on edge throughout. Mm. And then um, on IMDb, it currently holds a score of 7.2 out of 10, which I think is very, very good. Because mm, um, yeah. you know how, how these ratings can go. Mm. Rotten Tomatoes audience score gives it 76%. And it has a 94% tomato meter. Very respectable numbers there across the board. 
the tomato meter at 94%, it shows that the critics were really behind it, which is kind of a bit of a surprise, but I suppose if you're looking for a popcorn flick, there's not many that's better than this. In terms of seeing it at the cinema, I, I think I saw this twice at the cinema. I think I went back and saw it again. I think during the 90s, there were, there were several movies that I did actually watch multiple times, and I'm pretty sure Speed got a second viewing at the cinema. So it just proves it. People did go back and see it, me being one of them. And I remember growing up, it was one of those big films because, um, as you mentioned earlier as well, it was like screened on ITV like quite a lot, and that's how I first saw it. So it's got that nostalgia for me. It's been so long since I'd seen it, but it was nice to like remember how much of a good movie it was. I also remember viewing Speed 2 Cruise Control. Yes, people, there are, is a sequel to this movie. I haven't seen it for years, but I do remember enjoying it. But critically, I think it was panned. It was panned. I think the problem with Speed 2 is that it's on a boat. And I think that they're trying to really push hard to get obstacles in its way. Because it's quite a big boat. It's not very manoeuvrable. It doesn't go all that fast either. So it's kind of lack of speed, too. It's... <laughs> It's fun on a few levels, and it's got some good casting. But with them trying to capture the magic a second time, I think it wasn't going to happen. When they said it was on a boat, because I remember the sort of advanced publicity, I thought, oh, is it going to be on a big sort of speedboat type thing, like, and it's going to be really, really quick. And then when they said, oh, kind of, it's a luxury passenger line, I thought, really? Really? How fast is that going to go? And, I mean, the reality is, not that fast. And Sandra Bullock does return for the sequel. She um, does. I think it was one of the first movies I remember seeing her in as well. So, but yeah, Speed um, is one of those movies that is really hard to top. But because of it being so successful, you know, you know what like the studios are like. They're yeah. gonna be like, yeah, let's throw some more money and like churn out a sequel. Let's keep riding on the success of this. But then it kind of um, it didn't go anywhere after that. So. It's kind of sad, as we say, that this movie's kind of been forgotten. So if you have remembered Speed or if you enjoyed it back in the 90s, please let us know because we'd like to find some more fans of this movie because it completely deserves it. Absolutely. So the next Sandra Bullock movie that we are going to cover came out a year later following Speed and it is the 1995 romantic comedy drama While You Were Sleeping. Yeah, I remember going to see this one as well. I don't know what it was at that time. Probably It was probably Sandra Bullock. I did quite like her at the time. Still do, actually. So what's going on in While You Were Sleeping? Well, we have a synopsis here and you'll be pleased to know it is by the one and only Nick Reganus. So happy. So, so happy about this. Let's see what Nick has to say. 
nursing a secret and hopeless crush on the handsome commuter who passes her booze every day, the charming loner and Chicago L-ticket seller Lucy is about to have a second chance at love. During one seemingly ordinary Christmas shift, Lucy witnesses the object of her desire falling off the platform, and in one of those spur-of-the-moment decisions, she saves him from certain death, only to be mistaken for his fiancée at the hospital. As Lucy enjoys the unexpected stroke of good luck, unable to tell the truth to his welcoming family, unforeseen romantic affairs further complicate matters. Now, the comatose patient's suspicious brother Jack thinks he's onto something. Will Lucy face the consequences of what happened while the beautiful stranger was sleeping? Yeah, so this movie, I have a bit of a soft spot for, I'm not going to lie. Full context, I saw this movie when I was a kid. It was on ITV again, because ITV left the Sandra Bullock movies back in the day. I remember watching this movie with my grandma, so I think that's why it's quite special for me. When she used to look after me, um, we would always watch movies of all genres, which is perfect because this is what we do on this podcast. And um, I just always remember enjoying this film. And then I noticed it had um, come up on Disney+. Plus. And I hadn't seen it for absolute years, like not since the 90s. And then when I really thought about the plot of this film, I was like, it's a bit strange. Like for a rom-com, it is just has a bit of an oddity to it. And I was quite excited to revisit it to see what I'd feel about it now. And I think probably nostalgia took over, but it's quite an enjoyable film, even though there's some questionable kind of plot turns in it. Yeah, it is quite fun. It's one of those romantic comedies where early on in the proceedings, if somebody had actually opened the mouth and said, like, look, here's what's happening, it would have been the end of the movie. So you'd have got like a 20 minute movie and that would have been the end of the whole thing. And in these rom-coms, you can't scrutinise the plot massively in this because it's a comedy of mistaken identities and misunderstandings. And this happens through the entire kind of 100 minutes of this. So... If you kind of look at it with that critical eye where you think, well, if somebody had just explained what was going on in the opening sequence, we wouldn't have a movie. Yeah, it's true, we wouldn't have a movie. But the whole point of these things is that it's based on people who don't want to rock the boat. And and it's the fact that Sandra Bullock's character is trying to be so nice to everybody throughout the movie that things just get worse and worse for her. Things get more complicated as she tries to dig herself out and at one point there seems to be just no hope that she's going to be able to extricate herself from her predicament just because she doesn't want to upset anybody and her character um, has experienced loss in her life so we learn pretty early on that she lost her mother and um, when she was a child and then her father passed away then a couple of years before the movie starts so she's kind of looking to fill that void in her life and then she meets this family and they're all quite charming and endearing they welcome her and they're really kind to her and it's that sense of newfound family and that's what draws her in and I think any sort of romantic complications go on the back burner then because she's just kind of um, fallen for all of them as a family and wants to be part of that and even though they all seem a bit quirky because they definitely when when you think about the plot of this film how They've just accepted this random woman who they've got no other basis to know that she's their son's fiance. She's just been accepted in and um, they're so kind to her. And that's why she can't get out of the situation. But she doesn't really want to, but I think she wants to just get out of the lie itself that she's not his fiance. 
But I think it's a bit weird how they pass across because she just has a crush on this man. She doesn't actually know him. And then to become that embroiled into his life and having to keep up the charade, I think that's like the heart of the movie. In different hands, I think the opening sequence where she's fixated on this guy and she's talking about marrying him. In other hands, that might have come off as a little bit creepy. Could have been stalkery kind of things. But it's Sandra Bullock, so you know that she's got good intentions at heart. And you know that, really, she's got this ideal of what the perfect man is like. And that part of you, you really suspect thinks that she's not going to marry this guy anyway. He's just some very handsome commuter that she sees every morning. And then it's in keeping with the character that when he's put in danger because he's mugged and he falls on the tracks and he's unconscious, that she saves his life. And even then, the charade isn't really her fault. Somebody else assumes that she is his fiance, and then everything spirals out of control from there. And even at one point in the movie where she tries to get out of it, one of the family's friends says, well, you know, it's just going to break their hearts if they find out otherwise, so you need to keep this going. So there's some mileage in the plot to keep the plot turning over in the way it does. And for a rom-com, for quite a lot of the time, there isn't much rom in it, to be perfectly honest. There's quite a lot of com in it, but the rom is kind of pushed to the back for most of the running time. There is a an amusing subplot in which Joe Jr., who is a very Italian guy, who is also living in Sandra Bullock's apartment building, tries various methods in which to woo her. And then it's discovered that he quite likes wearing Sandra Bullock's shoes, which is a slightly odd plot twist. But it's it's kind of that 90s thing where rom-coms had to be chock full of really, really quirky characters. And this is absolutely stacked with quirky characters. I think if you're not quirky, you can't be in while you were sleeping. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that shoe fetish subplot. How weird was that? I did not remember that. I didn't even remember that character being in it at all. So that obviously just like went over my head. But yeah, he was very funny. I think... It's a little bit dated now in terms of maybe the the way that he's constantly pestering um, Sandra Bullock's character. If that was happening in real life, you'd be a bit like, oh, this is, this is just really creepy. But I think we're supposed to kind of, you know, see him as harmless. So interestingly, as we talk briefly about the beginning of the film again and the whole setup, allegedly the original screenplay was about a woman in a coma and a man pretending to be her fiancé. Many studio executives thought this to be too predatory, but one suggested reversing the roles. And then once the script was rewritten, the movie was picked up by Hollywood Pictures. That's really interesting because it's kind of saying it's okay for a woman to be infatuated with a man and practically forcing her way into his life, well, unintentionally. But if it was the other way around, it would be like a totally different movie. I think we'd have a lot to say. Yeah, it's a... It is an interesting take on it. I think if you did have the roles reversed, it would seem quite predatory. But there is that whole thing about, you know, women can be predatory too. I think the skill in the movie is that Sandra Bullock, you know, if you look at Sandra Bullock, you think, is she ever going to play some sort of predatory character? Probably not. So you kind of know where you're going with Sandra Bullock's character. And she's very sweet and it's all done from a place of caring. So that kind of emphasis is taken out of the plot straight away 
but yeah, it, it's it's odd that that actually, <laughs> for once, Hollywood looked at it and thought, oh no, this is a bit dodgy. We're not going to go with this because there are hundreds of examples where they've gone with something where you look at it now and think, oh my god, because I mean, there's plenty of things I've revisited recently where I mean. Even at the time I was watching it, I was probably a little bit disturbed by it. But now, with the advance of time and and me too and all this sort of stuff, then you can look at these things and just think, how did these bloody things ever get made? This is dreadful. While you were sleeping was does not fall into this category. It's very sweet. Yeah, you can't dislike it because the characters, again, are so likeable and you just enjoy it. It's just an enjoyable movie, isn't it? So basically what is kind of, it's got a bit of an unconventional twist to it. So whereas the setup is to make us think that Sandra Bullock's character Lucy is in love with Peter Gallagher's character Peter, and you kind of think, oh, maybe when he wakes up, he'll fall in love with her and then they'll get married to be part from. That's what you think is going to happen after they've got past the whole, she's not really his fiance at this point. But the spanner in the works is when Jack enters the picture. Now Jack is Peter's brother and he's played by Bill Pullman, and as you said in uh, Nick Pagans' synopsis, he starts to get suspicious, and he does not buy the whole Lucy as Peter's fiance, and he kind of goes along with it, and then in traditional kind of rom-com fashion, it's that whole thing where they're kind of sniping at each other, but then they actually fall in love. So it's it's weird because she becomes drawn into this family and then falls in love with a different brother, and when I watched this movie, I didn't see any kind of promotional material for it. It was just on TV and I watched it and I just went with it. But if you look at the poster, it has Sandra Bullock and Bill Pullman on the front. So would you say in a way it kind of spoils the twist or should we go into it expecting that anyway? Well, both really, because I think if you're looking at it from that point of view, Bill Pullman doesn't appear for about half an hour. Very much like Sandra Bullock in Speed. Sandra Bullock turns up in Speed after 30 minutes. Bill Pullman turns up in while he was sleeping after about 30 minutes. So if you're expecting him to be in from the start, he isn't. So it does kind of show its hand with that poster. I guess once he comes into it, the plot steers it in that direction. So you're kind of expecting it to end up where Lucy and Jack are going to end up together. But there'll always be complications, complications which are further exacerbated by the fact that Peter wakes up and still doesn't remember anything about Lucy because obviously he's never met her but then he thinks that he needs to turn his life around and he probably has a shot with Lucy and he thinks he should marry her so so you get that kind of third act twist and it's kind of who's going to end up with who I think it's probably not a massive surprise as to the way it all turns out without actually saying anything but (laughs) It is an interesting way that they marketed it, that um, it's it's pointing you in the direction of the two characters who are not initially together. So, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting way of, of promoting it. I mean, I, I don't remember the posters for the cinema release because it was in the midst of time. I do remember going to see it at the cinema and quite enjoying it. But uh, in terms of... Uh, locations it's all set in Chicago so you get very nice shots of Chicago there's some nice location work made me want to go back there I do like Chicago as a city I just wanted to get back there again because it is a very nice city so it's refreshing that you've got a different city 
for a rom-com because so many of them are set in New York or LA. So Chicago is a little bit of a an offbeat choice. And I think they reflect that in some of the offbeat characters in the piece. Like Joe Jr., for instance. Yeah, I understand like the whole thing about he could come across as creepy, but they kind of make him likeable enough by the end that he is looking out for her, even though his romantic advances to her are constantly rebuffed. But Joe Jr., it's fairly well established by the end that Lucy isn't really his type. He's kind of more into extremely loud Italian women, uh, even though <laughs> even though they, they might not like Joe Jr. as much as he likes them. So it's reflective of the movie. They, it's just trying to give you this big cast of characters who all have some kind of quirk. The family that uh, she ends up belonging to when she goes to visit Peter in the hospital. It's kind of recognisable family tropes, but with a little bit of a slant. And it's quite fun because the people who are playing them are all gifted comedic actors. You've got people like Peter Boyle and Jack Warden who have been in tons of this sort of stuff. So they're not what, what they're doing and you kind of feel quite familiar about them. You Like you say, it's a weird one while you were sleeping because to all intents and purposes, it's a very mainstream generic rom-com but quite a lot of the stuff that happens in it isn't mainstream or generic yeah because we can give and take rom-coms like it has to be something special for us to enjoy a rom-com and as like we spoke about last week with dirty dancing it's definitely like the performances that have that pull and sandra bullock's character lucy um she is very endearing you, you know you do feel a bit for her because she's um got that loss that she's gone through that grief but she's kind of getting on with life but she, there's just like something missing and she it's that kind of like quest for love that does like happen in all these types of movies but you just want her to succeed and i think in a way it is quite nice then that she finds that romance in a place she never expected and it's that whole like chance of fate if she hadn't first seen um peter at the train station and she would have never met jack so it's all that like yeah as a twist of fate at play in there but um, no, I loved all the characters as well, all the quirky family. And Jack Warden as Saul, he's like the the neighbour and uh, godfather to Peter, and and he's like very close to the family, and um, he feels like you know he's been accepted in by them and belongs as part of their unit. Yeah, he he doesn't want them to get hurt or anything bad to happen. It's quite sweet, and it, and at that point he's kind of an ally for Lucy, and she she needs that person that she can like talk to as well, um, which he fulfills that. And then there's the grandmother, Elsie, who's played by Glynis Johns, who is the mum in the original Mary Poppins. She's really fun. The bit that makes me laugh is when there's a wedding sequence and everything kind of goes to pot and she's there with her camera just taking photos of everything. And it's just it's just really funny because you can just imagine someone like that who doesn't really understand fully what's happening, but they're just carrying on um, with, with the day. There's great characters in it and it's hard not to like them. Am I right in thinking that the leading while you were sleeping could have been Demi Moore? Yes, so tying in with last week as well, the role of Lucy was originally written for Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze was considered for the role of Jack. I would have still liked that movie. I mean, I like it the way it is. I like it with Sandra Bullock and Bill Pullman, but we already know Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze have great chemistry together as um, performed in Ghost. Very, I think it would have felt like a very different movie. I can, I could see it, but I'm, I like it the way it is. I suppose that's what I'm trying to get at. 
I mean, would the romance would have been as low key as it is here with Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze, I think we'd have got a slightly more brash movie, which might not have suited the style. I think the fact that Sandra Bullock and Bill Pullman, they spend a lot of the time kind of playfully sniping at each other and they kind of skirt around the main issue. And it's the fact that it isn't in your face in terms of the romantic element that makes it quite fun. It's always there, but they're not really rubbing your nose in it all of the time. It's kind of, it's very playfully done. It's clear that they both have feelings for each other, but none of them really wants to admit it. And I don't know, Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze, they were big movie stars at the time. So I think it would have been a much different movie. Bill Pullman is always good in movies, but I wouldn't say that he's kind of this amazingly big movie star. He's recognisable, but... I guess you're not going to see Bill Pullman in the way you're going to see a Patrick Swayze. Same with Demi Moore and how Sandra Bullock was at the time. She was on the rise, but she isn't She isn't the star that she is now. So I, you're right. I think the movie would have been a whole lot different with Demi and Patrick in it. Might not have been a bad movie, but certainly different. Yeah, and I think the difference is, is as soon as Patrick Swayze would have walked on screen, you'd be like, oh, she's going to end up with him you would have that in your mind straight away because he's got that presence. And I'm not saying Bill Pullman doesn't have the presence, but he's more just like a more everyday guy in it. He's not, in my opinion, no offence, he's not like as attractive as Patrick Swayze. So I think the fact that you've just got quite a normal guy and it is very much kind of grounded in that normalcy as a film, isn't it? So it's like not trying to be too outrageous or fantastical. Even though, as I say, the plot is a little bizarre, but it's not trying to be something like really big. It's just it's just that kind of like really sweet, sort of unassuming like tone to it. Yeah, and and we're talking Hollywood ordinary here because I mean, you know, Bill Pullman, he's a good-looking guy. Sandra Bullock is an incredibly good-looking woman, but at the, at the same time, they've pitched their characters so that. It's Hollywood's version of what they think is plain and ordinary, which is fine. It works here. If you've got Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze, you just think, like, my God, it's Demi Moore. My God, it's Patrick Swayze. You can't really make them look ordinary. Whereas in this, I mean, they've tried their very best to make Sandra Bullock look plain. It doesn't quite work. I mean, just putting her in a big coat and a woolly hat. It's still Sandra Bullock underneath it. And so you think, okay, who's that amazing looking woman in the woolly hat and the big coat? But, you know, this is how Hollywood works. I mean, you, I get where they're going with this. And I'm willing to accept that Sandra Bullock is somehow single after all these years. Like that she's been wandering around Chicago and like no guy has spotted her. But for the purposes of this movie, I'm fine. I can suspend my disbelief. I'll go with it. Yeah, I think you have to with these things. There's no way around it. But yeah, it was a really nice film to revisit. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to overthink it. It's it's a feel-good movie at the end of the day. Everything works out the way it should. The ending, the end line is super cheesy. I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. I was like, oh, they went there. But I still had a smile on my face by the end. I, I had a good time rewatching it. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. It's the sort of movie that you can kind of stick on in an afternoon and just be really entertained by it. and it's got that warm glow about it and that's not to put it down it makes it sound like oh yeah it's just a movie that you can have on in the background as like wallpaper almost well no and it's that's not the case it's it is a really sweet movie and i i enjoyed it a whole lot considering 
my normal diet of movies is horror and sort of people being menaced and or chopped up. Stuff like While You Were Sleeping is a very nice change of pace. And I do remember liking it when I went to the cinema and having revisited it again for this podcast, I liked it just as much again. And I'd probably watch this again some point in the future. I'd think, you know, you know, what am I going to do? Stick While You Were Sleeping on? Yeah, that's quite a nice movie. You know, it's Sometimes you just want something that's a bit of a hug in terms of movies. And While You Were Sleeping fits the bill. Very much like its speed, I feel while you were sleeping, it's kind of gone under the radar again, and it did very well um, at the box office at the time. So it it does have um, a bit of um, commercial clout to it, but as I say, I feel it's kind of gone under the radar. But it's nice now; it's on Disney Plus, so hopefully more people are getting the chance to view it and uh, fall in love with it. Let's just go with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, there's there's nothing wrong with this. I mean, it's a very very sweet rom com. And it's slightly out of the ordinary as well because it takes a few twists and turns you don't expect and it doesn't hammer you over the head with the rom-com angle. It's a weird little movie in a lot of ways um, and I've got a lot of time for it. Yeah, me too. I think I'll revisit this again at some point, maybe not in the near future, but in a few years or something when I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this movie. So um, IMDb give it 6.7 out of 10, which is quite respectable. I'd say it's not the most the best movie ever made, but it, it is a good film. Uh, 79% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes with an 80% tomato meter. So again, very generous Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, good numbers there. And justified as well. I think it's the sort of movie that it's a crowd pleaser, but it's got its own little peculiar twist in there as well. It isn't really a cookie cutter rom-com in a lot of ways so yeah i i agree with all the numbers it's it's deserving of its ratings so it's time to make a decision which is the best movie which is the best performance Haley, what do you think oh again it's a tough one because both movies are good in their own ways and they're so different and sandra bullock is awesome in both parts but i think performance wise i'm gonna have to go with while you were sleeping just because she is the focal point of the movie and we're on her journey in that film, whereas she's more of a supporting role in Speed. So while she is excellent in Speed and um, the movie wouldn't work without her, I think while you were sleeping, because she's very funny in it, she's likeable, she's quirky. I love watching her relationships with all the other characters um, in that as well. So... Yeah, while you were sleeping, and I think for movie, it's a really tough choice. So I enjoy yep. both quite a lot, but I'm going to give it to Speed just because I love the suspense in it, and it's just a lot of fun, and it just reminds me of those like late Saturday nights again with my grandma, just watching any movie that was on TV. Probably movies I should not have been watching at the time, but I watched them anyway. And uh, here we are now. <laughs> this is who I am today. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to go with the speed for the um, the movie. How about yourself? Um, I think it's going to be a similar thing for me. Performance, again, I agree with you. She's very, very good in speed. But I think it stretches her range a little bit more in While You Were Sleeping. So you get to see a bit more of the actress that she can be. And you're right. It does take you on her journey. Speed, she's kind of a character that's thrown into something and you get to know a little bit about her, but not too much. Whereas with While You Were Sleeping, you do get 
a lot of background on her and you do get to really feel for her on occasion. And it's her performance that makes you feel all these things for her. So definitely while you were sleeping in terms of performance. Movie, it's very close. I didn't think it would be this close. I mean, coming into it, I would have thought speed definitely. But now I've seen them both. It's very, very, very close. I'm still going to go with speed, but it's by the narrowest margin because I really liked While You Were Sleeping. Speed is a classic action movie, and I guess there's a lot of rewatchability in it. But that's not to take anything away from While You Were Sleeping because I had a whole lot of fun with that as well. It was so much better than I thought it was going to be on a revisit. So by the narrowest of margins, I'm going to pick Speed as the movie but it is the narrowest of margins. Yeah, definitely. I think this is like harder than last week in a way. Yeah. So um, I like this. I like this challenge with the face-offs. Makes us think. So would you say that while you were sleeping, is Sandra Bullock's best rom-com? Uh, yeah, I think probably yes, because I think it was fresh at the time. And I think the problem with rom-coms is that they pick up an idea and they just thrash it to death, basically. And... Whereas Sandra Bullock's been in quite a few reasonably good rom-coms, I don't think any of them hit the nail on the head quite as firmly as this one does because it's got its own quirks. By the look of it, all the sort of promotional materials and the post and everything makes it look like it's going to be some really slushy standard, almost Hallmark-esque rom-com. And it's nothing of the sort. It's a really, really fun movie. The comedy is really funny. The romance, when it does come, is really sweet. So, yeah, I think it probably is her best rom-com. And, I mean, it what, 26 years ago now? Wow. Long time. <laughs> I think after, like, all the Hallmark movies that we've um, sat through, this is why we appreciate films like While You Were Sleeping. Yes. I could watch While You Were Sleeping on loop 24 hours a day, as opposed to some of, watching some of the Hallmark movies that we've seen, like, once or twice. Just once for me. <laughs> I don't put myself through that kind of torture every day. <laughs> I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 39 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed listening to our podcast, you can follow us on all our social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Next, another milestone. We hit episode 40. Can you believe we've done 40 of these by the time we record that episode? That's quite incredible. And for the 40th episode, we're going to be looking at a couple of 40-year-old movies. So we will be covering an iconic slasher film that I believe was banned in the UK, and that is The Burning. And for our other choice of movie, something which couldn't be more different. It's the U Certificate Robot Comedy Heartbeeps, starring Andy Kaufman and Bernadette Peters. Neither of us have seen this. It looks bizarre. I can't wait to see this one because I just want to see what it's like. Yeah, it's an interesting find. Um, going through the movies of 1981, um, I think we're going to be in for an interesting time with this one, and I'm looking forward to it. So until then, stay safe, everybody, and we'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bain. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, 
Amazon Music, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean. <laughs>